Have you ever wondered what it's like to perform an autopsy? Ever wanted to know how accurate your favorite crime drama is? If you're brave enough, join, join us inside the morgue. This episode is a little different from our normal episodes. We have a mini-sode for you guys. Alice and I are a little busy with work and some training courses, but we still wanted to put out an episode for you all. So we watched Wormwood Season 1, Episode 4, titled Opening the Lid. And although this is a docuseries, not like a CSI drama, the story and topics that they bring up do pertain to what we've seen in our job. So let's get right into it. So in 1953, at the Hotel Statler in New York, the hotel general manager found the body of a man, Dr. Frank Olson, lying outside of the hotel. It appeared that he had jumped to his death from the 13th floor, which is, don't hotels sometimes not have 13th floors? They go from like 12 to 14. I didn't think that you could actually, unless it was like a balcony, I didn't think the windows opened that much to be able to jump out of. I was going to say, this is also the 50s. So we've had a few suicide jumper cases at our morgue, and most of the injuries from a high velocity impact are seen in the head and the chest. So we've seen a lot of spine injuries, and these vary from case to case, but the injury is usually in the thoracic spine with a spinal cord injury as a result. So your thoracic spine is kind of, how would you explain the location of the thoracic spine? The thoracic spine is most of your torso, but from like your pelvis on, then it goes into lumbar. Yeah, so it's like basically like where your rib cage kind of is. Yeah, your entire rib cage is your thoracic. The entire rib cage. There's 12 thoracic vertebrae. So it's T1 through 12, and it's like where all your ribs attach in the back. You have your cervical spine above that, and then lumbar below it. Cervical spine has seven, thoracic has 12, and then lumbar has five. Yeah, and then your coccyx right below that, So, which is your tailbone. So just a quick summary of what a thoracic spine is. And also with jump injuries, there's usually a lot of craniofacial injuries and skull fractures. So the police in New York go up to Dr. Lashbrook's room, and Lashbrook says he's not sure why Frank jumped. So Lashbrook was sharing a room with Frank, right? Yes, they were roommates. Yeah. They were roommates. (laughs) (laughs) So the policemen search him, and they look out the window that Frank jumped from, asking one another if they ever saw a man jump through glass before. Lashbrook gets a call on the phone asking him to meet at Abramson's office tonight. The cop takes Lashbrook to the station. In the docuseries, they recant the story of the night of Olson's death, and the bellhop comes in, rushing to the door, and says, Someone just went through the window, and he's lying on the street. So the Helltail general manager goes out to the street, notices that Olson is mumbling to himself in his final moments, and then he dies in the street. That's so sad. Yeah. I guess when I think of jumpers, I always think that they just they die instantaneously on impact, but they definitely do have those last final moments before yeah. their body just gets so exhausted and working. Yeah, it's. I feel like a lot of people think that because that's how it's portrayed a lot in movies and shows is it's just like yeah. immediately, which I think so, depending on the injuries, it can be. Depending on the height, too. Depending on the height, it can be. But yeah, that's sad. The manager looked up to see which room Olsen came from, and he then questions if there were any calls made from that room, and there was one very brief call. The one end says, he's gone, and the other end says, that's too bad, and then they hang up. This sounds like it was some kind of notification to someone that Olsen was in fact dead. The general manager had worked on many hotels over the years, seeing lots of different things, and to him, this was no suicide. 
The son of Frank Olson, Eric Olson, talks in an interview portion of this docuseries. So up until this point, there was like a dramatization of the events that unfolded. So we're in an interview portion and they're talking to Eric Olson. And he mentions an old friend of his named Dr. Jim Stars, who was a law professor turned forensic scientist slash anthropologist specializing in exhuming bodies to resolve historical cases. An exhumation is when deceased remains are removed from their burial site and either a second autopsy is performed or they are moved elsewhere. And this can be carried out for both buried and cremated remains. You can exhume a body for a police investigation, DNA testing, transporting to another country, and the list just goes on. There's a, there's a bunch of different reasons why someone might be exhumed. You do need an exhumation license, and you need to describe in detail the reason for exhumation. In addition to this, having consent from the owner of the burial grounds and all the next of kin is required. It also costs between $5,000 to $15,000 to do this. Exhumation autopsies are extremely rare, and since the cause and manner of death is always certified prior to burial of the body. Certification occurs through primary care physician or a medical examiner. It just so happened that they had to move Frank's coffin from where it was buried to a new site where Frank's wife, Eric's mother, was going to be buried, as she had just passed in 1993. So in 1994, the body of Frank Olson was exhumed. In the first autopsy report, the cause of death was listed as fell-slash-jumped. To a coroner or a medical examiner, that is interpreted as being ruled as a suicide. In 1975, there was a redetermination and the manner of death was then listed as an accident. So this is a good example of having a compelling question for which there is a scientific basis to believe that exhumation would provide a clear answer. The family here did not believe that the death was a suicide and they have scientific basis to have the body exhumed. During this process, the time elapsed since burial is also taken into consideration and if the body is amenable. After the exhumation, the forensics team did find decisive evidence that Olson was murdered. The body was embalmed, and he was very well preserved after all those years. He was facially recognizable. So, just a little bit about how long bodies that are embalmed last. They last about 10 years after the initial embalming, and in a wet, low-oxygen environment, the chemical reaction will occur, and that will turn fat in some areas of the body into a soap-like substance called grave wax, and grave wax is also known as adipocere. This is formed from anaerobic bacterial hydrolysis of fat tissue. Anaerobic just means that that's the reaction occurring with a lack of oxygen, and hydrolysis means that a molecule of water breaks chemical bonds. However, in drier conditions, mummification will also occur. And you can listen back to episode two for more info on mummification. Yeah, we get really into it in episode two. So in 50 years, the tissue of the body will likely have liquefied, leaving behind mummified skin and tendons, which will eventually disintegrate. Although the body is discolored, it has a dark brown appearance, and the body itself would probably have been sunken into itself as the time goes on and it becomes more decomposed. Dr. Stars found that there was no evidence that the body had gone through glass. The window in the hotel that he jumped from was broken, but the medical report at the time said that there were lacerations, but Stars found no evidence of lacerations on the body. There was a second finding, an impact on the skull above the eyes. There was a second finding, an impact on the skull above the eyes, which investigators said could have come from a blow as a result of a struggle in the room. But from scientific evidence alone, you can't determine that Olsen went through the window at the hands of someone else. It could be possible to lower your head and go through the glass, causing a very large hematoma, which is a clot of blood, on the skull. In 1997, the CIA's manual for assassination was leaked, and the first manual actually came out in 1953, the same year that this accident had happened. 
In this manual, they actually say that the preferred way for assassination is to drop the subject out a window and strike a blow on the head, in particular above the eyes before dropping them. Very similar to how Olsen died. So it's believed that Dr. Olsen, who was the scientist, he was killed for the work that he was doing. However, the case was closed as a suicide and it was never ruled as a homicide. So I I mean, I work in forensics, but I live a relatively sheltered life and just knowing that out there, there are different assassination manuals terrifies me. This was the first. I think there are there several, are several. Other manuals. Also, how does something like that just get leaked out of the CIA? This whole story is literally insane. I know. I need to watch the whole docuseries. I know we watched this one because it was mostly about the exhumation and the second autopsy, which we do autopsies, so it was relevant to our podcasts and our work but the whole I feel like I would be so anxious watching this just because of all of the things that I would learn about oh absolutely like my little naive sheltered view of the world would be shattered it's like oh there's assassination manuals out there that people people read these and do it Uh, (laughs) what (laughs) it's so it's so hard to fathom that this is a real thing that happened I know and I feel terrible for the family. For the they, family. Because 40 years, they had him exhumed 40 years later. And I was reading a little bit more about it. They're still trying to get answers on some things, like to this day, or even like when the, I think this came out, Wormwood came out in 2013 or 2017. I think 2017 it came out. 2017. So like they're, they're still looking for answers and they're still, it's, it's scary and it's tragic. And we did a little more background just to kind of elaborate on Dr. Frank Olson and all the events that led up to this. So Dr. Frank Olson was an American bacteriologist and an employee of the U.S. Army Biological Warfare Laboratories working at Camp Dietrich in Maryland. Okay, another thing that terrifies me, biological warfare. Yes, the fact that that's a thing and you can't even see it coming. I'm becoming more and more afraid of every topic that we talk of. (laughs) I'm going to become agoraphobic because of this podcast. I'm not going to want to go outside. (laughs) I'm going to stay in my sheltered life. (laughs) I'm going to stay in here with my headphones on, only only recording this podcast. I'm never going to go out and experience anything in the world. Be a podcaster full time. So in November of 1953, at a meeting at Camp Dietrich, Dr. Olson was allegedly secretly dosed with LSD by his colleague, Sidney Gottlieb, who, if that name sounds familiar to you, was the head of the MK Ultra program. So for anyone that doesn't know or anyone that doesn't watch Stranger Things or have seen, I think Firestarter by Stephen King is also an MK Ultra esque storyline. So MK Ultra was an illegal human experimentation program done by the CIA, the Central Intelligence Agency. And it was developed in order to identify drugs that could be used in interrogations to weaken individuals through psychological torture to force confessions. Not a fun time. Which is also extremely terrifying yes, to think about. All of- <laughs> just- Everything about this is so scary. <laughs> yeah. Forced confessions or like coerced confessions, even not through drugs, which that is terrifying. But like that's another thing that's always scared me. There has been a few cases. There's one case, the yogurt shop murders from, I think it was in Texas, and I forget exactly where in Texas, but 
there were three men that were convicted of it. It was like a forced confession. And they ended up being, I think, proven innocent later. Oh but it was four young girls were murdered in a yogurt shop. And it was horrifying. Of course, people wanted answers. So I feel like it escalated because people were so convinced they needed to get the answers. And That's they... like the Central Park Five. They yes. had forced confessions. And they yep. were totally innocent. And... They, they were just saying what the police wanted them to say. Yeah, it was very similar with the yogurt shop murders. There's a book about it called Who Killed These Girls? Beverly Lowry. It's a cold case, the yogurt shop murders, because, yeah, crazy. the men were eventually proven innocent. They still don't know who did it, and it's horrifying. So after this meeting at Camp Dietrich, where Dr. Olson was drugged, he actually attempted to resign from his position, and nine days after... The drugging of Dr. Olson, he was at the Hotel Statler in New York, where he fell, slash jumped, slash was pushed to his death. In 1975, the Rockefeller Commission uncovered the activities of MKUltra experimentation, and the government even confessed to having Dr. Olson dosed with LSD. The government was just like, yeah. I can't, I can trust no one, not even the government. Don't trust the government. <laughs> My FBI agent, if you're listening, it's sorry. It's nothing personal, but. You know. Either if you're a man or a woman. <laughs> we don't want to be sexist. I'm not sexist here. <laughs> FBI agents can be anybody. <laughs> As we know from Clarice Starling from Science of the Lambs. She was, well, she was actually technically a student. She wasn't even an agent yet, I don't think, when that took place. But I just watched that the other day. It's fresh on my mind. <laughs> Dr. Olson's family planned to sue the CIA for the wrongful death, but accepted an out-of-court settlement from the government. As shown in this episode of Wormwood in 1994, Eric Olson, son of Dr. Frank Olson, had his father's body exhumed and a second autopsy performed by James Starr. And as we discussed, Starr's team searched and found no signs of the abrasions or lacerations that one would see in a case of someone jumping out of a window. But they did find a large hematoma on the left side of Olson's head and a large injury on the chest. Most of the forensics team concluded that these injuries occurred before the fall from the window, not as a result of the fall from the window. But there was one member of the forensics team that disagreed. And I thought it was important to include that someone wasn't totally sold on that. It wasn't unanimous. I don't know how because the injuries from somebody jumping through glass are very obvious. Right? And if they're yeah. not there, they're not there. I know. I was, you can't make up evidence. I know. I thought that too, but maybe they were just, I don't know, if they'd never worked on an exhumed body before and they were like, oh, that's what, true. it's been so long, maybe we're missing something. And maybe they were just on the fence. And I also, I got a lot of this information from, there's a whole Wikipedia page of Dr. Frank Olson and his career and the whole case and the controversy surrounding his death. So yeah, there's a lot to check out not just with the docuseries like that alone but then everything else that we talked about like the exhumation the actual case and what the cia did there's a lot going on yeah a lot that they tried to cover up and a lot that they blatantly said yes we did i know it's it's a scary world we're learning one thing i'm learning all of my fears through yes. this podcast <laughs> the government tight places <laughs> oh my god drowning drowning being buried alive None of this. <laughs> well, on that note, <laughs> that's the end of our episode. So thanks for hanging out. If you enjoy our podcast, don't forget to share it and hit us up on Instagram or Twitter and DM us with any show suggestions. And we'll see you next week for a brand new dissection. Bye. Bye.